Hello, everyone, and welcome to the August 1st edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal, in an unpublished opinion, challenged a finding of the WCAB that denied a claim of psychiatric injury to applicant Peggy Miller. Miller was a registered nurse at the California Department of Mental Health at the Coalinga State Hospital. The WCAB held that her psychiatric claim was caused by a lawful, good-faith personnel action and thus barred by the provisions of Labor Code Section 3208.3. Miller alleged the psychological injuries arose out of a dispute with her supervisor, Brandy Walker, about the administration of medication. Walker had asked Miller to distribute medications in this male sexual offender unit. A patient requested a dose of the pain medication Darvon at 5 o'clock a.m. The treating physician had prescribed one Darvon tablet every four hours as needed, not to exceed four doses in a 24-hour period. The patient received a dose of Darvon earlier at 6 o'clock a.m. and had already received three additional doses. Miller informed the patient that he could not get his next dose until 6 o'clock a.m. and thus he had to wait another hour. The patient became upset and complained to Walker who ordered Miller several times to administer the medication based on her understanding of the hospital's nursing policy and procedure manual. The manual provided that in administering medications the 24-hour period starts at midnight. Miller refused and became emotionally upset at being ordered by a psychiatric technician to violate the physician's order. She later met with the nurse on duty who initially agreed that the 24-hour period began with the first dose of medication then did not reset at midnight. But that nurse subsequently changed her opinion. The incident and her treatment thereafter led to Miller's claimed psychiatric injuries. After a hearing, the work comp judge found that the directions given to Miller were not discriminatory, unlawful, nor in bad faith. Accordingly, the work comp judge concluded that Miller did not sustain a compensable industrial injury. On reconsideration, a split panel agreed with the work comp judge. The dissenting commissioner believed that the personnel action was not legal because it could have been harmful to the patient and placed Miller's registered nursing license in jeopardy. The Court of Appeal agreed with the dissent and reversed in the unpublished opinion of Miller versus WCAB and the California Department of Mental Health. The court went on to explain that neither the work comp judge nor the WCAB majority acknowledged a letter obtained by Miller from the California Board of Licensed Vocational Nurses and Psychiatric Technicians, concluding that the next dose of medication should not have been administered until 6 o'clock a.m. The licensing board response added that it is illegal for the psychiatric technician to independently amend a medical order for a specific patient based on a general nursing policy and without the direction of a physician and that restarting the medication dosage clock at midnight is not in keeping with standards of professional practice and, more importantly, may be harmful to the patient. The case was remanded for the WCAB to explain how the personnel action was lawful. And now our fraud report. 
The California Medical Board filed administrative charges against Dr. Christine Arosevich, who is a QME and a psychiatrist who was accused of misconduct in the Anna Nicole Smith case. The July 13th administrative complaint arises out of a medical legal examination she allegedly performed in 2006 involving a work comp claim against the state compensation insurance fund. An injured worker identified as T.P. was sent to her office for an evaluation and was allegedly seen by her employee K. Cahoon, who took the psychiatric history. The mental status examination was performed by her colleague John H. Kamen, Ph.D. The claimant was not seen by Dr. Arosevich face-to-face at any time, according to the charges filed against her. The medical board alleges that documents signed by Arosevich after the evaluation claimed that she personally took the history and performed the psychiatric examination when allegedly she did not. The state fund was sent a bill and statement claiming that over four hours were spent in interviewing the applicant and preparing the report. The administrative allegations also allege a second similar event in 2004 involving a person identified as L.S. who was evaluated for a claim against the Los Angeles County Employee Retirement Association. In that case, the administrative allegations state that Thompson Kelly, Ph.D., met with the claimant, took the history, and performed the examination despite the reports that state Arosevich did the evaluation. The Board of Medicine seeks revocation of her physician and surgeon certificate. The board's website indicates that the doctor may continue to practice medicine pending the outcome of this administrative complaint. Her lawyer, Bradley Brunyan, said he planned to file a response to the accusations refuting the claims. He says this is an effort by the medical board to accomplish through administrative proceedings what they could not do in court. Arosevich was convicted of two felonies in the drug trial surrounding Anna Nicole Smith's death. But in January, a Los Angeles County Superior Court judge threw out one of the felony convictions and reduced the other one to a misdemeanor. The Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office is appealing the judge's decision. The Internal Revenue Service has opened an investigation into the city of Bell, according to sources familiar with the ongoing probe. At least two IRS agents have been assigned to the investigation and have been in and out of the Bell City Hall since February. IRS spokeswoman Linda Lowry said she could neither confirm nor deny there was an investigation. The IRS is at least the eighth agency to probe the city of Bell. Among the subjects under investigation are workers' compensation settlements and disability retirements that Bell's former chief administrative officer, Robert Rizzo, gave employees. The Los Angeles Times reported in May that Rizzo would wrap severance and sick and vacation time into workers' comp settlements when some employees retired, especially those Rizzo was trying to force out. Experts said the practice violated tax codes. Workers' compensation settlements are tax-free. Since such pensions are taxed at half the normal rate, the settlement scheme could lead to millions of dollars in extra benefits. A Corona Del Mar doctor and former director of Orange Coast Memorial Medical Center's cancer unit was sentenced to 18 months in federal prison for Medicare fraud. Oncologist Glenn Justice has been ordered to surrender on September 19th to begin his prison term. 
He was also ordered to pay more than $1 million in restitution as part of a $7.5 million civil settlement. Justice pleaded guilty in March to bilking Medicare and private insurance providers out of more than $1 million for medications that were never administered. In addition to serving as the head of Orange Coast's Cancer Center, Justice also owned Pacific Coast Hematology Oncology Group in Fountain Valley, where the fraudulent Medicare claims were filed. Prosecutors originally recommended probation, but later discovered Justice continued to defraud the government after the plea agreement was reached. His attorney argued that the crimes were the result of an irrational mental health condition similar to addiction for which Justice has since begun treatment. He asked the court to forego prison time so Justice could take a full-time position at the free clinic near Santa Ana, where he's been treating indigent cancer patients. But... Assistant U.S. Attorney Jeannie Joseph told the court the state medical board would seek nothing less than revocation and surrender of Justice's medical license. And in financial news, despite multiple self-insured group failures across the country, the majority of small businesses report they have little or no knowledge of how SIGs work. In addition, 41% of current and former SIG member decision makers don't realize they are in fact financially responsible for the workers' compensation claims of all the companies in their SIG, not just their own business. The latest poll reveals an increasing trend of misunderstanding compared to the results of the same poll in 2008. Douglas Dirks, president and chief executive officer of Employers Insurance, says that many small businesses are lured by promises of lower costs by self-insured groups, which unfortunately expose them to increased risk. The study commissioned by Employers Insurance surveyed 500 owners or managers of small businesses with 1 to 99 full-time employees. And in regulatory news, the insurance commissioner has announced that the WCIRB has proceeded with his directive to revise its filing of pure premium rates in order to provide more meaningful and understandable information. The commissioner has directed the WCIRB to benchmark its proposed pure premium rates against the average insurer filed pure premium rates rather than the previously approved pure premium rates. In this way, the proposed rate changes is more indicative of cost levels reflected in the most currently available average insurer pricing. Also, it is believed that by presenting the information in the manner prescribed by the commissioner, the public will be able to better understand the key factors affecting costs and premium rates. However, the commissioner says that the methodologies used by the WCIRB will not change as a result of the commissioner's directive. And in medical news, Occupational experts say that addiction deaths and longer disability durations are among problems caused by overprescribing narcotic pain medications to injured workers. While medical guidelines that could help alleviate the problem are rarely followed. Dr. David Dietz, National Medical Director at Liberty Mutual Group in Boston, says that this needs to be appreciated as a public health and important medical treatment problem that goes well beyond workers' compensation. He says that several factors are responsible, including the widespread marketing of prescription drugs. 
A report released by the Washington-based Institute of Medicine states that chronic pain affects 116 million people in the United States, or more than the total affected by heart disease, cancer, and diabetes combined. Meanwhile, growing efforts to address prescription drug abuse include a program unveiled this spring by the Obama administration. The program aims to educate doctors on the misuse and misprescribing of opioids. Occupational medical experts say that applying medical guidelines would help eliminate unnecessary narcotic consumption and related problems. Injured workers could benefit from insured and self-insured employers working with their insurers, pharmacy benefit managers, nurse case managers, peer review doctors, and others to identify claims where narcotic pain relievers are prescribed and to address the underlying medical problem rather than merely treating pain with narcotics. Most medical guidelines, such as ACOM or ODG, encourage this approach. According to a study published this month by the Workers' Compensation Research Institute, very few doctors follow medical guidelines when prescribing narcotic pain relievers to injured workers. Dr. Bernice Peplowski, the state fund medical director, said that the guidelines call for early intervention with treatments such as cognitive therapy that aim to help patients return to their daily activities as soon as possible. The state fund recently drew complaints from the California Society of Industrial Medicine and Surgery for revising its medical network contract language to require doctors treating its claimants to agree not to prescribe more than a 60-day supply of opioids without prior approval. And in other news, the National Football League's new collective bargaining agreement does not prevent players from filing workers' compensation claims in states where their teams are not based. This was an issue the league had tried desperately to resolve during negotiations. The NFL and the National Football League Players Association signed off on the new collective bargaining agreement with both sides agreeing on terms that will allow the season to start. Workers' compensation was among the sticking points the two sides had yet to agree on as negotiations wound down. Mostly at issue is the California labor law, which has been the reason that several former pro football players file workers' comp claims in the state despite not having played for any teams based here. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your iPod by searching for the WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.